Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So, quick question. Have you ever been told that you, you, you God has a very specific and unique destiny, purpose for you to fulfill? But then again, you're not exactly sure what it is and how you go about figuring out how to find out what it is and stuff and thingies but it's a very and you can miss it you you could like totally miss god's entire purpose for your life if you've ever heard that go ahead hit the subscribe button down below don't forget to like the video and uh, what we're going to do today and uh, let me whirl up the desktop here and uh, we're going to head over to the uh, the ministry uh, YouTube channel for Andrew Womack, Andrew Womack, and uh, we're going to be listening to the, just the first installment of a multi-week series that he's doing on a book that he wrote. Think about that, and uh, how to find, how to follow, and how to fulfill God's will. Now, by the way, talking about God's will, that's a biblical topic. The question on the table is. Is Andrew Womack teaching us what the Bible says regarding God's will for our lives? You know, so many people, you know, they, they think that, you know, there I, I, there I am. I've, I've got to find the unique purpose, destiny that I have to, I, I've always felt that I had a special calling on my life and stuff like this. And, and you're going to note here, this is a, a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky doctrine. Uh, think of it this way. You guys remember this guy? You remember that guy? Hermie. Yeah, Hermie from, uh, from Rankin and Bass's, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's, that's what that was. And what, what, what did Hermie didn't want to make toys because he had a different purpose altogether. L listen to what Hermie said. Well, sir, someday I'd like to be a, a dentist. Uh, a dentist? I, you know, okay, yeah. You get the idea. So what happens is, is that, um, well, bad teaching on finding the will of God will have you chasing your destiny tale and constantly trying to f go in circles and figure out, what is God's destiny for me? Uh, the Bible talks about what God's will is for Christians and what we're created in Christ Jesus to do. And oddly enough, it's not for a specific, unique purpose. Nope, not at all. In fact, uh, let's, let's let uh, Andrew Womack spin this out a little bit, shall we? Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today, I am really excited to start sharing with you about how to find, follow, and fulfill God's will. He just happened to has he happened to ha has merchandise on this. Okay, all right. I've got a book on this. This has been out quite a while, and I have seen lots of people's lives touched through this. And my mm. own personal testimony is that this is what got me to seeking the Lord. And I'm going to be sharing a. So his personal testimony is going to play into this. Now, a little bit of a note here. I'm going to go ahead and speed this up just a smidge, just a smidge. Not because of copyright, uh, you know, but because I, we have a lot of ground that we need to cover. So uh, you should be able to still understand him pretty well. He's, he's one of these word of faith heretics. And uh, it just seems like the nicest guy ever. But here's the thing. If we're going to have a biblical doctrine about discovering God's purpose for your life, unique and individual destiny kind of thing, what are we going to need? In order for a doctrine to be biblical, you have to actually have biblical texts that teach it. And this is where he's super sneaky, but that's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll note how he's smuggling things in here, and then we'll take a look at a large portion of Scripture as it relates to what God's will is for us as Christians. And... Um, it ain't going to be any of the stuff he says, but uh, let, let's let him keep going here, shall a we? A lot of things, but I'm excited about this because I really believe, and I'm going to be giving you scriptures to verify everything I say, but just as a way of introduction, I believe that God has a perfect plan for every single one of you. I'm perfect plan in an imperfect, sinful world. Okay. I know that based on the Word of God. And I also know that most people are not really doing what God has called them to do. They let life kind of control them and just push them. 
So already we're, we're up to a bad start. We're one minute, 22 seconds into this teaching. And he's making the claim that, oh, man, there's people out there that God has a, a perfect plan for their life, but they're not living it. And so what does this do to the person who's falling for this? Answer, it's creating anxiety within them. I want you to think about it this way. So there you are, you're a husband, uh, you've been married for five years to your lovely bride, and in the first five years of your marriage, you've had two children. One's a toddler, one's still an infant, and uh, at this point, you're still, you don't have enough money saved up for a down payment on a house, so maybe you're living in a condo or an apartment. You, you get the idea, but what are you doing? You're you're working super hard. You you get into your car every single weekday and you commute to work, or maybe for the past couple of years because of COVID, you've been commuting via Zoom, right? But you, that means you have to get up, you have to do your thing, and you put in the work. And there you are slaving away, you know, you, you clock in, you clock out. You, you submit your TPS reports, you do your things that you're supposed to do. And at the end of the day, you, you get in your car or commute to the living room because of, you know, Zoom. And what do you do? You, your kids, they need help with, you know, they need help with all kinds of things. You know, when they're at that age you know, where there's diapers to change, there's bedrooms to clean, there's laundry to do, there's meals to be made, there's, oh man, and you got to get them ready for bed. And then you got bedtime stories. And of course, you got to have some, you know, quality time with your kids and play with them and stuff. And there you are, you know, your, your, your day-to-day existence is super, predictable and mundane. Oh, man. And what are you doing? You're working hard, working yourself to the bone. Uh, How shall I put it biblically? Toiling by the sweat of your brow in order to put food on the table to care for your wife, to care for your children. And Somebody like Andrew Womack comes along and there you are, you, you, you fall for this thing and you sit there and go, you know, what, what if I've missed my purpose and that God all along wanted me to be a dentist? You know, and so what happens is, is that you start to get this niggle, you start to get this doubt, you start to get this thing, you know, I, I've got to be made for something more than this, because this is so, mon- and anybody can do this, you know, and, and so what ends up happening is, is that, you know, you fall for this and you're going to despise being married. You're going to despise the fact that your children uh, and, and having to support them may in fact be getting in the way of you having that purpose that God wanted you to give, wanted to give to you. And, oh, what do you do? And, and so th- this is, this is satanic, the best way I can put it, because when you understand what God's will is for you, it's laid out pretty clearly in scripture. Um, You'll never think that way again, but uh, we, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's keep going here, shall we? In whatever direction, it's kind of like water, you know, that just always seeks the lowest level. Whatever's the easiest is what most people go for. But God's will for your life is never going to be the easy thing to do. Says who? God, what, what will are you specifically specifying? Does that make sense? You know? Is what most people go for. But God's will for your life is never going to be the easy thing to do. It's going to be something you have to pursue. If you don't pursue it, you won't get it. But if you don't pursue it, you won't get it. Can you imagine how awkward that'll be? Yeah, there you are. You stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and Jesus looks at you and says, oh man, you blew it. Here, I, you, you could have changed the world and instead you were changing diapers. Oh, you you didn't pursue my purpose for your life. And so you got like fifth best, right? Hmm. God has a purpose for every single one of you. And I tell you, it's only when you discover that purpose that you will really find true satisfaction, joy, and peace. And I'm saying this in love here, but there... So you have to find your purpose to have joy and peace and satisfaction. Hmm. Okay. There are some people watching this program that you are dissatisfied and you're trying to use everything that you know from God's Word to rejoice and to be happy and yet you're dissatisfied, you just can't figure it out. Sometimes it's because um, 
you know, you, you just take your eyes off of the Lord and stuff. But some of you are seeking the Lord and are still dissatisfied. And one of the reasons is because you aren't in that spot that God has for you. There is right. You're you're out of position, man. You're you're you're, you're you you haven't discovered the unique, specific purpose that God had for you. Mm -hmm. Such a thing as a holy dissatisfaction. And this is one of the ways that God motivates you towards fulfilling His will is that you just won't find that true happiness and peace and satisfaction until you are in the center of God's will. You know, let me give you a... a so you got to pursue this, man. You got to get in the center of God's will. And once you get there, you'll, you'll lose the holy dissatisfaction. Which biblical text says these things? There isn't one. No biblical text says any of this. Illustration of this in my own personal life. So we're going to go with an illustration from his personal life. Oh, we can't possibly go wrong that way, can we? Uh, I've used this before, but for me, it's just one of those moments in my life that is one of the greatest things I ever experienced. But Well, Andrew Womack's life is not the Bible. It's not the Word of God. And it's not where we're supposed to go to find Christian doctrines. I went to Charlotte, North Carolina for 32 years, I believe it was, in a row every September. And I had a partner there that owned a business with about 30, 35 uh, employees. And he would always invite me to come speak to his employees. He would tell them the clock's running. You just listen to this guy talk. As long as he wants me, I'm paying you. And you listen. And then after it was over, I'd go to the break room. Yeah, when the theology and the doctrine that you're creating depends upon your personal life experiences... Uh, yeah, you got a big problem. This isn't this isn't a biblical doctrine. And I'd pray with people if they had problems. And we saw lots of people saved and healed and miracles happen, and it was good. Anyway, one time when I did that, I walked out after finishing ministering to the people, and there was an Oriental woman that was sitting at this front desk, and she wasn't back there with the rest of them. And so I asked her, I said, so who are you? And she told me your name. And I said, how come you weren't back with the rest of the employees? And she says, well, I'm the new kid on the block, and they left me here to answer the phone. She says, uh, what did you do back there? And I told her what well, we did. And she says, and who are you? And I told her my name. And she says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a minister. And she, her eyes got big, and she said, for who? And I said, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, she, she looked at me, and she says, you're the one. And I said, I'm the one what? And she told me that she was a Buddhist, and the previous night she had been going through her rituals, and she just stopped right in the middle of it, and she started praying, and she says, God, I know that you exist, but this can't be it. And she says, who are you? She says, reveal yourself to me. And she said that this ball of light came in front of her, and it was just pulsating, and she heard an audible voice that said, tomorrow I will send you a man who will tell you who I am. And she says, you're the one. And I said, man, I am the one. And I got... Mm -hmm. to lead this lady to the Lord and prayed with her to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's joyous. Yeah, there's only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the second baptism, and it ain't a biblical one. Since that was to see her life change, when I got out to my car, I couldn't even go anywhere for a while. I just sat there praising God, thinking, God, I was in the right place at the right time. I was in the center of His will. Mm. So you, you, you want to be in the center of God's will, don't you? Just like Andrew Womack is. He knew I'd be there. And I tell you, there, the reason I told that story is to say that there is such a satisfaction and a joy. That Are you dissatisfied? Do you have holy dissatisfaction thinking there's got to be more to life than this? Okay. comes of knowing that you aren't just doing your thing and asking God to bless it. You aren't just doing your thing and asking God to bless it. Where do the apostles and disciples talk like this? Nowhere. But to know that you are doing exactly what God created you to do is something that uh, defies explanation. You just nearly have to experience it. And there's somebody watching this program right now that you're, you love God, you're born again, you're seeking God, you're asking God to use you and to bless you, and you're trying to... Uh Note the self-centeredness of this here. This, this, uh, this is a doctrine that appeals to narcissists. Uh, live a Christian life and influence other people, and there's still a dissatisfaction in your life. And I believe there's multiple reasons, but one big reason is because many of you aren't exactly where God called you to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think anybody is because of sin. My personal testimony is that when God... My personal testimony. So, no, this theology is really hugely dependent on what? His personal life experience. God has revealed His will to me. It has never been the easy thing to do. Mm, so has God revealed His will for your life to you? I mean, you've got to go through steps and things. you got to, you know, step one and step two, and you got to really be intentional about step three and four, whatever they are. And then once you do those steps, then God will finally say, Congrat Congratulations. 
I'm going to now reveal and speak to you your destiny. And you're going to be a dentist. It's like I have to see it and then I have to pursue it and Satan marshals all of his forces against me. As we go through this series, I'm going to be using a lot of personal testimonies and I'll... Yeah, I, I know. That's the big problem. ...share here. stories with you. But I tell you, Satan has done everything he could to stop me from fulfilling mm. God's will in my life. It hasn't mm. been easy. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's terrible. It's a, but I'm just saying it's a fight. It's worth the fight. The victory is well worth the fight. But doing God's will isn't the easiest thing. And I... Yeah, what is God's will, by the way? I'll just throw it out there because I biblical text that will explain to you exactly what God's will is and what we are made to do as Christians, and it's not to find a unique purpose. You'll note this whole theology depends on you going through the steps where God finally says, good job, now I'm going to reveal to you why you're here, and uh, and then and it's going to be like an audible voice or a vision or a dream, and you'll finally, by earning it, get that that voice from God will say, here's my best plan for you, and everything else is less than best. No biblical text teaches this. I believe that most people have just let circumstances in this life dictate to them and control their things. Many people, you know, their future was planned for them by their parents and they did what was expected of them, uh, took over the family business. How many biblical texts are we into at this point? None. Seven minutes in, no biblical text. How much you want to bet the ones that show up are out of context? Which if that's what God wants you to do, that's just fine. And I'm saying sometimes people have plans for you and you just head in that direction uh, like a sheep to the slaughter, not realizing that. <laughs> so so you, you can head and in, in, head like a sheep to the slaughter. Sounds terrible, man. Uh, you know, just, just, oh, good night. God has a special, unique purpose for you, but you've been led to the slaughter and you're not a dentist. God has a special plan for every single one of you. Where does it say that in the Bible? Now, here's where we're going to jump off. All right. So where we're going to go first, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And this is a good place to go because we actually have a specific sentence in this portion of Ephesians chapter 2 that explains what all Christians are created in Christ Jesus to do, every single one of us. So he, here's what the Apostle Paul says in this wonderful 10 verses here. Uh, you, Paul, writing to Christians, in the, at the church of Ephesus and reminding them of what they were before they were Christians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sins of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You'll note that this verse I go to with, with some frequency here. Verse 3 says, we were by nature children of wrath. That's how we know that in verse 1, that we were born dead in trespasses and sins. None is righteous. No, not one. All right? So we were conceived and we were by nature, because of our conception, having inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, a little bit of a note here. There's a word that in here, and the word is walked, okay, in which you once walked. And this is a Hebraism, all right? The Greek word is peripateo. And the Apostle Paul is kind of thinking through biblical texts in the Old Testament that use the, the Greek, uh, not the Greek, the Hebrew word halach, halach, which means to walk. But it's not talking about, you know, grabbing your backpack and then walking from your door to the bus stop. It's talking about how you conduct your life. And this is going to be an important word because we'll note that there's a, there's a, a logic to this passage. Verse 1 and verse 10 mirror each other in thought, uh, but it's the opposite. So this is what we call a Hebrew chiasm. So you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once conducted your life, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived, how? In the passions of our sinful flesh 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, watch these next verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And here it comes. We are God's workmanship, watch next, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. And, um, you know, created in Christ Jesus, so... Uh, this is tough. Good works. Ergois is plural. You're not created in Christ Jesus as a Christian for a unique destiny, a unique purpose. You are created in Christ Jesus for, plural, good works, which then begs the question, what are the good works? And watch this. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should conduct our lives, peripateo, halach, walk in them. So everybody who is a Christian is created in Christ Jesus for good works. How then do we determine what a good work is? Well, we see this at the tail end of the epistle. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and watch the word, walk. Conduct your lives in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So here we can then see, all right, Paul's going to explain again how the, the passions of our sinful flesh and the things we're not to be walking in, the things we walked in before we were Christians, and give us the other side of it, the good works that we are to walk in and conduct our lives in. So he goes on. But sexual immorality, all impurity, or covetousness must not be even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who's covetous, and that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So note, why do Christians do good works? Because they are already Christians. You are a child of the light. Walk as a child of the light. Be what you are in Christ. This calls by can only be done by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. So for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed, by the light it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. So then look carefully how you, here it is again, walk, how you conduct your life. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. All right. So what's the will of the Lord? Answer, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. 
be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is, is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, pay attention here, because I, it always irritates me that uh, certain men seem to think that these are the only verses that exist when, in marital relationships. You'll note there are two, three set, there are three verses here. Three. Husbands have a lot more than that. So you husbands pay attention. This is the will of the Lord. Husbands love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Sacrificially. You want to know what real patriarchy looks like? Real love looks like? Look at Christ on the cross, bleeding and dying for the sins of his bride. Let that one sink in. Husband, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So note here, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. And here we have text teaching us, guess what? It is the will of God. The good works that you conduct in your life begin in your vocations as wife, as husband. You'll see as children, as employees and employers. In other words, the good works that Christ would have you do, you're doing them in those vocations. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you don't need to go and earn to hear the voice of God, to learn what your unique purpose is. If God has made you a husband or a wife or a father or a mother, the good works that Christ would have you do, you're doing them. Changing diapers, nappies, whatever you call them, wherever you are in the world, commuting, going to work and earning a living, you know, taking care of your children in the in their bodily needs, in their emotional and in you know emotional and spiritual needs, uh, helping them with homework. These are all the good works that God calls you to do. That's the point here. So in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. In other words, Christ wills the good work, the will of God for you, husbands, is to cherish and to love your wife sacrificially, the way Christ has loved us. So because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Now this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters. Think here, you know, employers and employees. Uh, you know, so I'll obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or, or is a free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in him, is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. What's the will of God for you? 
love your neighbor and your vocation, according to this. And you're going to note that Peter, yeah, that guy, Peter, you know, who uh, denied Christ three times and then was restored and forgiven by Christ. Listen to what he writes in his epistle. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Pay close attention. Christ commissioned him to write these words for us. All right. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power you are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this then you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved with various troubles or trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. So, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but they were serving you in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which even the angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Note that Paul and Peter are saying the exact same thing, just with different words. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves then with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in, these, in the last times for your sake, who through him you are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So then having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, think belief in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another, earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of grass and the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the lord is good and as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of god chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, beloved, I urge you then as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Oh, here we have a sentence on the will of God. Are you seeing anything about learning, earning to hear from God your unique destiny? No. These good works are done in your mundane life that you are already living. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Note here, so this, this is something that applies then to uh, employees right now. Do you have a terrible boss? Many do. Well, do the right thing and even suffer for it. This is a good, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, right? For to this, you have been called. You've been called to suffer. So because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you suffer, should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason and the hope that 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 and the reason for the hope that is in you yet do this with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if that is it should be god's will than for doing evil and you'll know just how much the gospel is interwoven in these texts so we're going to talk about the will of god for your life bear the fruit of the spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And to put to death the passions of your sinful flesh and not yield to its sinful desires. To conduct your life in love, regardless of the vocation that you find yourself in. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, plural, not a single destiny. So you'll know that when Andrew Womack goes down this road, you know what he's not doing? He's not preaching this, which is clearly just peppered with phrases that make it clear. This is the will of God. This is how we are to walk and conduct ourselves. He's not preaching any of this. He's teaching you to, like Hermie from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, find your purpose, find your density, and become a dentist. You know, things like that. We continue. Boy, there are so many scriptures on this. The first thing I want to do is just show you from scripture that God has a plan for your life. You, All right, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this one. How much you want to bet it's out of context? Aren't an accident whether your parents knew you were coming or not. God. Yeah, I agree that I'm not an accident. God knew I was God coming. God knew you were coming. And God created you with a purpose. Look. Yeah, give me a text that says God created me with a unique purpose because I just showed you from Ephesians 2.10 that all Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works, plural. Look at these verses, and I'm going to be using a lot of them. I'm not sure I'll get to all of these on today's program, but I want you to think about this, that you didn't just happen. God had a purpose for you before you were even created. Look at these verses in Psalms chapter 139. And beginning with verse 14, it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eye did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, which as yet there was none of them. Now, this is the King James, and this is really awkward. It's not the way we talk today. Yeah, did that say that I have a unique purpose? Nope. I don't have a problem with that. I've studied it out. But this verse where in the King James it says, and in thy book all my members were written. I forget the exact wording in the NIV, but it's like all of the God's plans for your days were written out before you were even born. When you Right. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 10. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Plural. So Psalm 139.16 is a wonderful cross-reference to Ephesians 2.10. And it doesn't say that you have a unique purpose. It does say that God's you know, ordained our days before it. So think of it this way. If we come back to Ephesians, and let me go this direction here. Ephesians, Ephesians, ooh, I got to spell it right. Ephesians 2. And look at this, look at this verse. For we are... Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So since we now know from the further context, chapter 5, also what Peter says in 1 Peter, one, you know, chapters 1 to 3, which we read you know, large portions out of that, that we recognize then that God wills for us to put to death what is sinful within us and to love each other in our vocations, that means you... Christian, are already doing the good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And I, in the text that he's quoting from Isaiah 39, isn't talking about some alternate track, some better track that you can be on as a Christian, unless, of course, you're living uh, according to your sinful passions and not doing good works, you know, 
the good that Christ has called you to do. But you get the idea here. You don't have to guess what this purpose is or what these ordained days were for you. You're already living in one right now, the day that God ordained. The good works you're doing were God ordained for you to walk in them before the foundations of the earth, the ones you're doing today. We continue. You were still in your mother's womb. God had a purpose for your life. Paul said this same thing. Let me turn. No, you keep adding the word purpose. And it is true that our day our days are ordained by God. But again, scripture interpreting scripture, we can see clearly what's going on here by looking at Ephesians 2.10, which is super clear that we weren't called for a purpose, but good works, plural. Turn over and read this out of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and mm -hmm. called me by his grace. Talking about the apostle To reveal Peter. his son in me. So right here is Paul again saying that God called him and separated him unto the gospel from his mother's womb. Yeah, the, those were the good works that Paul was called to do. Paul was called to be an apostle of Christ and he did his good works in that calling. So he did, you know, he fulfilled the, you know, the duties that he called for. So in the same way, that same apostle says, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's no apostles today. So, yeah, again, this is you taking what Paul was set aside, the good works that he was called to do and say, therefore, God has called you for a unique and specific purpose. Yet no text says that. And the text I read out in large copious amounts clearly define what the will of God is for us. Now, this does not mean just because God had written in his book what he planned for your life to be. And then like Paul, he was separated from his mother's womb. That doesn't mean that it's automatically going to come to pass. This isn't God just sovereignly controlling your life. And a lot of people really believe that fate, or they, if you're religious, you call it the sovereignty of God. Yeah, this has nothing. This isn't exegesis. I, this seems like a distraction. But if you're non-religious, you'll just call it fate. But you believe that everything just automatically works out the way it's supposed to be. You know, if you would look around and see the people who murder and rape and steal and people, you know, just Right. God didn't call them to do that because that's sin. We as Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And those, if you really want to understand that, are defined according to the Ten Commandments in our different vocations. Just, you could mention so many things. That was not God's plan for those individuals. God's plan, He has a plan for your life, but He doesn't force that plan upon you. You have to cooperate with Him. And Paul is a great example because he said... Plan, singular, yet... Scripture says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, plural. You just need to let the Bible tell you what a good work he is. He was separated unto the gospel from his mother's womb. But did you know for, we don't know exactly how old he was when the Lord appeared to him in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts on the road uh, to Damascus to per persecute the Christians. I, but let's just suppose he was 30 or 40 years old, something like that. For those first 30 years, he was not pursuing God's will. He actually was becoming a religious Pharisee. And he talked about all the things he did, how that he persecuted the Christians and even consented and testified against them to their death. You know that that wasn't God's will for his life. And of course, it's not God's will that we break his commandments. That's sin. The things we have to be set free from. Yeah, he said God separated him unto the gospel from his mother's womb. He I feel like you're missing the forest because of a tree here, Andrew. He felt this calling. He felt this desire to be serving God. And so he just plugged into the religious system. Where in scripture does it says that say that Paul felt a calling to serve God, so he just plugged himself into the Pharisaical system? You just added that to scripture. And worked his way up through it, was trained under the greatest rabbi of his day, Gamaliel, and he became a religious Pharisee because he felt that call, he felt that anointing, but he didn't pursue it the way God wanted. Where does it say he felt a call and an anointing, but he failed to pursue it the way God intended? No text says that. You're adding this to the biblical narratives. And that's the reason that in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, God arrested him on the road to Damascus and totally changed his life. But it shows, see, that there was a purpose for his life, but he had a choice. He was created in Christ Jesus for good works, like all of us are, and he does his good works as an apostle of Christ. And he made some wrong choices and just followed the way that everybody else was doing it until he had this supernatural encounter with the Lord. Yeah, you are really reading things into the biblical text that are not there. So I'm saying that even though, like in Psalms 139, that God has written out in his book what your life is supposed to be, even though God has done that, you've got a choice. And you can either cooperate, you can rebel at God, or you can just let circumstances in life push you in a certain direction, and you can miss God's perfect plan for your life. <sighs> 
man, you can miss God's perfect plan. Where does it say that? That that never came up in like even a secondary or tertiary thought in any of Paul's epistles or in Peter's or in John's. Where are you getting this? Let me fast forward just a little bit. We'll keep going here. That God isn't the creator, but... All right, hang on a second. I'm going to make this one a little fast, too. Here we go again. Here going we go. back to Psalms 139, God wrought you in your mother's womb. God created mm -hmm. you with the purpose. God knows. No, no, no. God created me in Christ Jesus for good works, plural. Everything about you and has even determined what your life is supposed to be. You know, in my personal life, God ordained that I be a minister. He called me to that. God ordained that I have a worldwide ministry and reach people. You know, there are some people. Yeah, God did not ordain for you to teach these heresies and to twist his words like this. You are going contrary to the very expressed commands of God, the Holy Spirit, in the written scriptures. People that are called to minister like to the homeless in a certain specific. There's some people that are a pastor in just a local place. There's some people that are missionaries overseas. There's different purposes. With me, God called me to be a media minister. And as I go through this series, I'll tell you, it was, it was absolutely the furthest thing from what my qualifications were. I was an extreme introvert. Couldn't look at a person in the face. Could so here we go again. He's doing theology based upon his personal experiences. I mean, thinking of talking in front of people used to just petrify me. God called me to do exactly what I am unqualified to do. In yeah, you clearly haven't studied and shown yourself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly handle the word of truth. And that's the problem here. So, I mean, putting a fine edge on this. It's very clear. It's very clear that Andrew Womack is teaching this very, very bad doctrine that undermines any confidence uh, or joy that you have that the work that you are presently doing as a husband, as a wife, as a father or a mother or a child, as an employer or an employee, that, that these works are pleasing to God and that you may be missing your purpose. Yet when you read the scriptures about what the will of Christ is for us as Christians and what we are created in Christ Jesus to do, not hear or earn or learn what a unique purpose is. Instead, we are to do our good works in love and kindness and mercy and grace in unity towards our neighbor, regardless of the vocation that we find ourselves in. And that these very good works were foreordained by Christ before the foundation of the world that we should walk in them. So find your closest neighbor, look at your job, look at your vocations, and do them all to the glory of God with love and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we're called to do in Christ. And what he's teaching this is, again, this is a doctrine for narcissists, and it has nothing to do with the good works that Christ has called us to do. In fact, he's distracting people from learning what it is we're called and created in Christ Jesus to do by having you chase after this elusive Sasquatch of a doctrine. I need to learn my unique purpose in life. No, you don't. You need to know what a good work is and know that you were created in Christ Jesus to do those. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.